are in week four of this series, uh, My Life Under Construction, and this is just a series about um, God, really what I talked about after worship, just God building something in us, doing something in us, resurrecting something in us, and we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and I don't have time to catch you up on the whole story, but you can go back and listen to the podcast, but the theme of the series, the whole gist is that there are things in our life that we ruined, and God's going to rebuild them. Things that have been destroyed that God is rebuilding and redoing in our lives. And we've, we've given all kinds of categories. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it is, you know, your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's an addiction in your life that's cost you. Maybe it is, uh, you know, your faith, your relationship in God, a dream, a career, whatever it is. All of us have these disappointments because we started out hoping and thinking and dreaming and believing that it was going to be big and great and awesome. And because of something done to us or something that we, maybe we did ourselves, we destroyed it. We ruined it. And now where we are, we feel like it'll never be fixed, never be better, never, you know, work. But we serve a God who, who rebuilds things that we have ruined, who gives us grace on top of grace. And so today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. We're, we're going to skip chapter 3. Um, we're going to go back to that next week, but, but we're going to jump ahead to Genesis 4, 6 today. And, and where we are in the story, Nehemiah, who was just a, a, a cup holder, a, a bartender for the king of Babylon, he finds out that his homeland, where, where his, his heritage is from, he never lived there, but his heritage has been destroyed and the walls have been torn down and he gets a burden for it. And so, and so God gives him this burden. He decides, I want to rebuild it. I want to go do something about it. And so he, uh, he asks the king for help. The king says he can go. He goes, he rallies the people. They're excited. They're united. Come on, we can do it. We can build it. And they, they jump in. And so we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. And we're just going to read and focus on this one verse today. But here's what it says. It says, at last... The wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. So the whole project, when it's completed, took 52 days. So it'd be safe to say this is about 20 or 30 days into the project. They are now halfway done, which is incredible, that the walls all the way around the city are now halfway built. And, and here's kind of the last part of the verse we're going to focus on. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. Everybody say enthusiasm. So, so we're going to focus on this. I want to talk about enthusiasm today and, and the importance of enthusiasm. Because anytime you are trying to rebuild something in your life, anytime you're trying to change the culture of your house or your family or the culture of your life, anytime you're trying to break free from an addiction or anytime you're trying to find new faith and when your faith seems dead, it requires enthusiasm. You are never going to make great change in your life acting and working and being status quo because the status quo is just the current that takes you where everybody else ends up. That if you want to really be different and God to do something different in your life, you got to go upstream. You got to work harder. You got to fight harder. You got to be more enthusiastic. You, you got to go get it. It takes enthusiasm. It's not a coincidence that in 20 or 30 days, these people had rebuilt the walls to an entire city to halfway complete. That's incredible, but it's not surprising because if you get enough people together with enthusiasm, you can really accomplish just about anything. You really can. But if you don't have enthusiasm, 
it's really hard to accomplish just about anything. So if you have enthusiasm, you can accomplish almost anything. If you don't have enthusiasm, you can't really accomplish much because enthusiasm is that gas in our tank. It's that, it's that extra oomph. It's that, it's that part of us that decides to wake up in the morning and to be excited and to be driven and to be passionate and to, and to, go, to go really do something and to be something. The textbook, the dictionary definition of, of enthusiasm is uh, intense or eager enjoyment, interest, or approval which really just proves to all of us that, that we don't have an enthusiasm problem because all of us in the room are, you know, intensely interested or enjoy something in life. Maybe you jump up and down and squeal like a girl when your team throws a Hail Mary, you know? Maybe, maybe it's when you accomplish something at work or a hobby that you have or when you see your kids, you know, accomplish something. Or I never realized I had enthusiasm about kids girls soccer until my daughter started playing now I have enthusiasm about it because I care right we won nine nothing yesterday but anyway so um <laughs> it's not about winning and losing it's about having fun um all of us have experienced the the the, uh, the rush of enthusiasm towards something new or something that we're trying to do like all of us, or most of us in the room, remember the enthusiasm that we felt when we set our eyes on a new girl or boy and wanted to date them and then maybe decided we wanted to marry them. There was no restaurant unattainable, no phone conversation too long, no, no outfit. I mean, it, it, whatever it took, we were enthusiastic. Come on, ladies, this is a good time to elbow your husband. We were enthusiastic about doing whatever it took to, to get the girl or to get the guy or, 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 you know, whatever. I mean, we showered and put on cologne and, you know, acted interested at the restaurant when they were talking about something that didn't interest us and ready to go to bed but still just talking on the phone. Like, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Okay, I'm going to hang up. No, you didn't hang up. You know what I'm talking about. So, like, all of us, all of us have experienced, or most of us have experienced that rush, that enthusiasm of trying to make that new relationship work. What about the enthusiasm of trying to get healthy and like starting a new diet, buying new shoes, gym membership, right? Like we can do it, we can do it. And, and, and you probably did for a while. For, for a while you probably did. Just like in your relationship, you probably had that enthusiasm for a while. But something happens, you wake up one day and like you, you, you have a bad breakfast and then you fall off. You don't go to the gym. Your marriage that you had enthusiasm about, it's not, it's not the relationship, it's not the, it's not the same anymore. Maybe you was enthusiasm about a new career and that first day at the job and that new outfit for that first day at the job and I'm gonna climb the ladder and I'm gonna do this. Maybe it was getting out of debt. You were enthusiastic about it, breaking the addiction. I can do it, I'm going to rehab, we're gonna do it. I, we can do this thing. And we find ourselves where Nehemiah found himself and the people in chapter 4. The Bible says that it was halfway complete. I think that's so interesting. That a lot of times in life, like enthusiasm can get us halfway. A lot of times in life, enthusiasm can carry you to the first weigh-in, the, the, the second group meeting, the first week at the gym, the first couple of dates, the, the first couple of church services. What about the enthusiasm we've all felt in that new faith in Jesus Christ? 
Remember when you got saved, man? You were like, man, Jason, I will clean the toilets. I will go to Africa. I just want to be here. Why don't we have church on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? I just want to be here, and I just love Jesus, and I love this church, and God speaks to me, and it's just so incredible. I'm telling all my friends about Jesus, and you do for a while. And Nehemiah and the group here, they're here. They're halfway done. They're at the halfway mark, and they have worked with enthusiasm. But the same challenge that faces them faces us. How do we keep our enthusiasm? How do we keep our focus? How do we keep heading in the direction that God wants to take us so that we don't end up status quo? You know, there's nothing sadder or more sad than seeing a beautiful home that's halfway finished because the builder ran out of money. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, that what a gorgeous home. They ran out of money. So now it just sits there And you think, man, what could have been? And that's so true for our lives. And so here's what I want to do today for the few minutes we've got left. I want to give you five enthusiasm killers in your life. Five enthusiasm killers. We've been talking about cynicism a lot lately and sarcasm and negativity. And we're just, man, we're just going to get that out of here. That's not our language at Hope City Church. We're not, we're just not going to be devil's advocates. I want us to have enthusiasm and excitement for what God's doing. And all of us will face these five enthusiasm killers in our life. So get, get some notes, something to take notes out with. And I'm going to fire these at you real quick and, and kind of talk through these. Brian McGill says enthusiasm is the energy and force that builds literal momentum of the human soul. So you want to get farther, faster. You want to accomplish something great with your life. You got to have enthusiasm. You got to have enthusiasm and you got to figure out a way to keep that enthusiasm. So here we go. Five enthusiasm killers for your life. Number one, you ready? Number one is sin. Sin. Some of you, you come in here each week and you're like so excited about what God is doing and going to do. And man, I'm different. And I'm changing. And I feel God and I feel God's presence. And you're determined that this week's going to be a, a new week, a different week. But you leave here and you return to some of the same old sins that pop your balloon every single time. I don't want to get too much in your business, but I do know that like for some of us, like we're in a relationship with somebody that we're not married to and they're not good for us and they're dragging us down and they have no interest in our relationship with Jesus. And so they won't come to church with you. They're not interested in that. And so you leave here jacked up on Jesus and then you go home and they pop your balloon of enthusiasm. Be, and, and it's not just that you're with them, because we'll talk about people in a second, but it's the sin that's involved in that relationship. It's one thing to just be around them. It's another thing to sleep with them and to play house with them and to act married to them. And, and you're, you're trying to connect something up, and that sin is, is messing you up. For some of you in here, it's this addiction, and you're like, man, I'm going to make it this week until Friday to lift. I'm going to be clean. But then by Monday morning or Monday afternoon or Tuesday, that addiction creeps back in. And when you engage in that sin again... You're leaking oil. You're leaking enthusiasm. And it, does, it's not, it didn't happen. It, it, it's, it's not working for you the way that you thought it would work. And there's all different kinds of sins that we could list and talk about. And it's not about is your sin better than somebody else's because all sin is, is the same at the cross. But it's just about the fact that for some of us, we wonder why we can't keep that enthusiasm very long. We've refused to address the sin in our life. It's almost impossible to keep enthusiasm about a relationship with Jesus and consistently do the same sins over and over again at the same time. 
It's almost impossible. David wrote in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5, Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And David said, when I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, a la no enthusiasm, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. Look at this description. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David said, when the secret sin or when this consistent sin was in my life, I, I, was, I was dead, tired, uh, exhausted, uh, hurting. Can't, that's not enthusiasm, no momentum. He said, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and my guilt is gone. And I would add to that, my enthusiasm's back. So it's almost like a double dose of enthusiasm Whereas sin takes it from you, when you confess your sin, get that secret sin out of your life. Maybe it's not even a secret, but, but do what it takes to, to get that consistent sin out of your life. You realize you've been three days clean. You realize that you, you have gotten out of that relationship. All the things that hold us back, it like doubles your enthusiasm because you realize you're, you're getting rid of that sin in your life. And so for a lot of us in the room, the momentum killer for us is sin. It's sin. We got to get rid of it. And so my encouragement to you today is confession. My mic's messing up here. Hold on. Confession. Who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to confess to? Who do you, who do you need to, 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 even if it's not secret, who do you need to bring into your life to help you to, to stop being and doing those things that you're doing? All right, so that's number one, enthusiasm killer, number one, sin. Number two, this is huge. It's a sermon all on its own. Comparison. Man, comparison is such an enthusiasm killer in our life. You're excited, you're enthusiastic, what God's doing, what God's changing, what God's building in your life, and you are feeling really good about what's happening until you start looking at what everybody else is doing. Scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, you know, whatever it is, talking to your friend, you know, and you feel like your marriage is going good till your friend went to Hawaii. And I was like, well, my marriage is struggling. It's like, no, they just went to Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a good mom. Look at that mom over there. Like, she homeschools and makes organic breakfast. And, like, I'm just, it's just Fruit Loops, you know? I just eat the Fruit Loops. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good Christian, you know? I, I, I'm not, and, and just this constant comparison. In, in the book, um, David versus Goliath, Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book. It's incredible. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. But um, he talks about the, the power of comparison and the trick that it, it plays on our minds. And, and in the book, Gladwell asked this question. He said, which do you think has a higher suicide rate, okay? Countries who declare themselves to be very happy, like Switzerland, Denmark, Iceland, Netherlands, or Canada. So these are countries that, like, statistically through surveys, they say they're very happy. Or countries like Greece, Italy, Portugal, Spain, whose citizens describe themselves as not happy at all. Malcolm Gladwell asked the question, which country would you think has the higher suicide rate? And surprisingly, the answer is in the so-called happy countries. And the reason this is, is a phenomenon in all of us that we do not compare ourselves in broad contexts. We compare ourselves in very focused contexts. Let me give you an example. 
You don't make $30,000 a year and then go, well, you know, according to everyone else in the world, I'm in the top 5% of all income earners. I'm wealthy. That's not how you feel about yourself. You say, man, I only make $30,000 a year and driving this beat up car. My buddy over there's got this and they just did that and they just bought this house and they just got that. And you say, you feel bad about yourself because you're comparing in a very small context, not, hey, I had hot water for a shower today. I'm lucky. Right, that's just not what we do, okay? And so the reason that this survey came back or the, the stats came back on this is because if you live in a country and you feel miserable, but you live in a country where everybody else feels miserable, you don't feel that bad about yourself. But if you are depressed and everyone around you seems happy, you feel worse about yourself. Same feelings, same person, but the context matters. And so comparison plays tricks on us and it kills all of our enthusiasm and it pops our balloon of what God is trying to do in our life. And it's not just comparison to other people. Sometimes it's comparison to where we feel like we should be and the pressure we put on ourselves. I should be farther along now. I shouldn't still be talking like this, acting like this, being like this, treating somebody like this. I'm such a failure. I'm such a terrible person. But listen, you're farther along than you ever imagined you would be. Devin, come here one second. Andrea, come here one second. Let me, let me just give you this illustration. So what happens to us is, Andrew, just stand right here for me if you would real quick. Just, just turn this way. Okay. So, so this is where we want to be. Amy, come here. Help me real quick. Amy, come here. I'm, this is twice I've called you up here. All right. Come back here with me, Devin. All right, so, so this is where we want to be in our life, right? And, and this is where we currently are. And so we're comparing ourselves to our own expectations of ourselves. And we're saying like, man, look at all this gap. Look at all this distance. Look at, I'm, I'm, I'm such a failure. I can't believe I yelled at my kids. I can't believe I said that cuss word. I can't believe I didn't read my Bible yesterday. I, I saw that picture of, you know, Andrea. She was reading her Bible with, you know, the coffee mug as the deer pants for the water. And she had six highlighters. And, you know, she's just doing all this stuff. And I haven't read the Bible in, in like six weeks and missed church two weeks. And I'm such a terrible person. Not you, I'm just Heck saying, yeah, you know what I'm saying? No, no, I'm saying. You has missed two weeks, but I'm not upset about it. So, so, and so you look at where you're not comparing yourself to your expectations for yourself. I'm such a terrible person, such a terrible person. But here's, if you want to compare, which you shouldn't compare, here's what you compare. Here's where you were, okay? So like you could turn around and you could say like, well, this is where I was and look how God has helped me to get all the way up to here. Instead of comparing what I'm not. Thank you, guys. You can go sit down, okay? And so you want to feel enthusiastic about what God's doing in your life. Like, don't look at what you're not. Think about what you used to be and what God has, has done for you. Galatians 6.4 says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. So you only get the satisfaction of a job well done when you pay careful attention to your own work. And you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So do you compare your life, your home, your husband, your kids, even your lawn? We had a drummer, a guest drummer today, Kyle. He's my neighbor. He's got incredible grass, incredible grass. <laughs> His lawn's so much better than mine. I compare, and then it kills my enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> comparison will always eventually make you feel like the loser. Like you may feel like the winner because you found somebody to compare to that you're better than, but eventually you'll find a reason to feel like you're not good enough and it stills your enthusiasm for your own progress. All right, so that's enthusiasm killer number two. Number three, 
What are those things that kill our enthusiasm for what God's trying to do and rebuild in our lives? Number three, negative people. And we, we talked about this last week, and so I'm not going to take a bunch of time on it, but some of you, you can't figure out why you can't get where you want to go and be excited about what God's doing and stay the course, and you are just surrounded by leeches and, and like negative people, and they're constantly telling you what you can't be and what you can't do and what you're not going to do and how it's not going to work, and you got to get those people out of your life. <coughs> you got to get them out of your life. Get them out of your life. Unless you're married to them, then we'll work through that, all right? But other than that, you got you to get them out of your life. Be- because there's nothing worse than being enthusiastic about what God is doing in you and dreams and desires. And there's nothing worse than having that enthusiasm saying, man, I'm jacked up on Jesus and we're going to do it. And then you get around somebody who thinks they're helping you and doing you a favor and they just pop your balloon. And so I've actually, like, I've always kind of felt this way, but we've been talking about it a lot lately, and it's just kind of been brought to my attention again. And, and so I've just kind of recommitted myself. Like, I am not going to put myself around negative people. I'm just not going to do it. Like, I will turn you down. I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm not going to take your phone calls. Like, you can talk to Andrea or Joy. Like, you're not going to talk to me. Like, I just, <laughs> I, I, like, it's just too depressing and too distracting. I mean, you let a negative person get in your head, next thing you know, three days later, you're in a bad mood because you've been thinking about their negativity. But man, there is nothing that helps enthusiasm like getting around people who encourage and believe in you and pat you on the back and, and, and show up to bail you out of jail and tell you it's okay because you're not going to be there again. We're gonna, God's got great plans for you. And like, like there's nothing that, that makes you feel more enthusiastic about what God's doing in your life than somebody coming along and saying, man, you're doing great. God's got you. God's got plans. Don't, don't you quit. Don't you give up. And so I know there are some people in your life that you love, and you've known them since high school, and they're your cousin. And, like, I know that, like, but I don't know. Like, you got to get them out of your life. And they'll say, well, you're too good. Look who forgot where they came from. Whatever. Like, that's just being more negative. Like, whatever. Thank you. Thank you for affirming what I believed about you. And I'm out. I'm out. Okay. I took some uh, cold medicine this morning. I'm just I'm pretty fired up. <clears throat> I'm starting to feel loopy. Um, number four, enthusiasm killers. Enthusiasm killers. Number four is the grind. The grind. You're excited about Jesus. You're jacked up about Jesus, but you work third shift. And by Tuesday, you don't even remember what happened on Sunday. And, like, you're changing diapers, and then the baby pooped on you, and then, you know, you try to go to work, and your boss is a jerk, and then you ain't got no money, and then, like, and you're like, man, I'm trying to love Jesus, but, but life is just beating me down, and it's a grind, and, and just, just getting here, and, and it's, just, it's just a grind. But I love that Jesus knew how we would feel and what we would go through, and he said, all of you who are tired and weary and carry heavy burdens, come to me. Find rest in me. So I think one of the most powerful things that we could do when the grind is killing our enthusiasm, I think one of the best things we could do is to go to God and to tell God how we feel. I know it seems so simple and it seems like a duh kind of thing, but I, this is something that's been happening in my life for about 18 months. I've just kind of realize the importance of actually verbalizing God to God how I feel. Like, God, I'm scared right now. 
God, I'm stressed out right now. God, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm tired, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm anxious. And it, he already knew how I felt, but it does something in me to, to tell God how I feel. I think that's what he meant when he said, come to me, come to me. Some of you in here, like you don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's coming to him and saying, God, I'm ready to live my life for you and give my life to you. Come to me, all you who are weary. Another thing you could do if the grind is taking your enthusiasm is you can obey God and take a Sabbath. We've talked about it a lot. I don't have time to get into it, but God worked six days and he rested the seventh. It's in Genesis chapter one and two. And he built us the same way and he made the seventh day holy. So God created your life for a rhythm of six on, one off, six on, one off, six on, one off. And I'm not just talking about the hours that you work at your job. I'm talking about, you know, how you unplug and how you rest and how you stay recharged and enthusiastic. Recharged and enthusiastic. So that's number four is, is the grind. We got to take time to rest. We got to have a Sabbath. We got to tell God how we feel and, and not just put our head down and then wake up six months from now and our blood pressure be up and we're depressed and we're blowing up at everybody. We got to, we got to. We've got to take time to rest and tell God how we feel. And then number five, uh, enthusiasm killers. Number five, fear. Fear. It's crazy how we can get so enthusiastic about what God's trying to do through us and in us. And then one little fearful thought turns into a monster in our head. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm going to lose my job. I heard they're laying off. I'm going to lose my job. I think my spouse is cheating on me. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to have to pay that bill, and I don't have any money. I'm going to get kicked out. Like, and, and fear, like, I, I took a test at the doctor, and they're, they're going to call in two weeks. And between now and two weeks, you've already diagnosed yourself, and you're going to die, and you know when you're going to die. And, and, but here's the crazy thing about fear. I shared this with the men yesterday at the breakfast, and we're actually going to talk about fear a good bit in a few weeks. But the crazy thing about fear is it's almost all hype because the reality of what happens to us is almost never as great as the fear that led up to the event. So the monster of fear in our head builds it up, builds it up, builds it up, and it almost never lives up to the hype. Physically or emotionally or whatever it is, it's like it's just never as bad as we built it up to be, but fear zaps all of our enthusiasm, pops our balloon because we're so afraid of what's going to happen. Some of you in here, God has put a dream in your heart an idea, a business, a ministry, something that he wants to do through you in your life. And you get so enthusiastic every time you talk about it and every time you dream about it and every time you plan for it. But then you get afraid because you have to live by faith and act by faith and walk by faith. And you're just, and, and whenever you begin to get afraid, it just pops your balloon. You got no enthusiasm. I read recently about the African impala, the animal, the African impala. I didn't know this, but the African Impala has the ability to jump 10 feet high and 30 feet long. 10 feet high, that's, that's insane. 10 feet high, 30 feet long, the African Impala can. And, and so you would think it would be really hard to keep these animals in a zoo contained somewhere because they could get out wherever. It's actually not hard at all because what's crazy about the African Impala is that they will not jump if they can't see where they're going to land. And so what people who own them and train them do is they just put a three-foot wall beside them and they can't see over the wall and they don't know where they're gonna land so they never jump. And man, 
I just think that's an incredible depiction and description of what so many of us allow fear to do in our lives. We've got a dream, an idea, a calling, a purpose, freedom, whatever it is, and, and we won't jump and act and move by faith because of fear. And you can only stay inactive for so long before you're not excited or enthusiastic about what was in your heart to begin with. And so my heart for you and my passion, my, my desire for you is that God would, whatever it is that you're facing and trying to rebuild and wanting to redo in your life, that God to help you, is that God would allow you to keep that enthusiasm in your life. It's not easy. Things come up. But we've got to face these enthusiasm killers and, and do whatever it takes. We've got to deal with our sin. We've got to stop comparing. We've got to eliminate negative people. We've got to work through the grind and structure our lives to survive the grind. And we have got to face our fears and act in faith sometimes when we're afraid. I believe with all of my heart, God is building something great in your life and in this church. And let's don't allow these enthusiasm killers to rob us of that, of that juice, of that gas that it takes to get to where God's trying to take us. All right, let's pray.